The very word secrecy is repugnant in a free and open society. And we are, as a people, inherently and historically opposed to secret societies, to secret oaths, and to secret proceedings. Our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet, I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? Exopolitics, paranormal phenomena, and deep analysis of current world events from somewhere in the desert between Area 51 and Roswell, blasting across the planet, the Manticore Network proudly presents Veritas, because the truth will set you free. Headline edition, July 8, 1947. The Army Air Forces has announced that a flying disc has been found and is now in the possession of the Army. I think it's time to open the books on the question of government investigations of UFOs. Uh, we ought to do it really because it's right. We ought to do it because the American people, quite frankly, can handle the truth. And we ought to do it because it's the law. Be skeptical. Do be as skeptical as you want, but by all, don't close your mind. Greetings to everyone around the world, and a warm welcome to another edition of the Veritas Show, where we bring you disclosure, one guest at a time. I'm your host, Mel Fabregas, and I sincerely thank you for joining me once again. This is episode number 33. Tonight, we're back to the UFO topic. A few members of the listening audience referred me to the Cometa Report not too long ago. And to be quite honest, I have heard the name from a few guests, however, I was not familiar with it. Since I'm one more member of the audience, I decided to learn with all of you. I went directly to the source, the French journalist who made this report public, Bernard Toinel, is tonight's special guest and will be with us shortly. Also, let me share with you the list of our upcoming guests. The dates are still to be decided, so visit our website periodically for updates. Robert Morningstar, not to be confused with Robert Morningsky. The great Kevin Smith from The Kevin Smith Show. Ralph Epperson, author of The Unseen Hand and The New World Order. Lou Bolton, known to many of you as Sleeper, author of In League with a UFO and A Day with an Extraterrestrial. I don't think you've ever heard Lou anywhere else, but you will hear on Veritas. And I'm also working on the protocols to invite retired Sergeant Major Robert Dean, especially after his outstanding and most revealing presentation at the Barcelona Exopolitics Summit. I will keep you posted. 
The Veritas Show is syndicated by the following affiliates. K-Rock's Zero Point Radio, the Black Vault Radio Network, and the Paranormal Radio Network, UPRN 105.8 FM, New Orleans. If you need to get in touch with me, very simple. Send an email to mail, that's M-E-L, at veritasshow.com, or head onto our website and click on the Contact button. Don't forget to stop by the Manticore Forum, where you can send questions to our future guests and discuss many topics with members around the world. Also, stop by the chat room on Friday and Saturday evenings, where you can discuss this week's show. Also, I'm starting a thread on our forum. I would like your participation. The title, What Do You Know About Pine Gap? I don't need to go into an explanation, and those of you who know, I'm sure you will tell us more about this United States military base in Australia. And here's a preview of our upcoming show with Ralph Epperson, The Unseen Hand, and The New World Order. Ralph, when I went to your website, the first image that jumped at me was a copy of the front page of the Hawaiian newspaper Hilo Tribune. It's from November the 30th, 1941. That's a week before Pearl Harbor, uh, the attack happened. The headline reads, Japan may strike over weekend. Now, how could this newspaper know in advance but President Roosevelt did not know. Uh, we knew about the attack on Pearl Harbor. In fact, Roosevelt sat in the White House waiting for notification because we had broken their naval code. We knew they were going to attack, and yet he did nothing. And this here, nine congressional investigations were conducted after the Hawaii attack at Pearl Harbor, and all nine of them said Roosevelt did not know. And yet here's a newspaper that says they knew the week before. This was the Sunday newspaper. The attack happened the next Sunday, December 7, 1941. Almost like uh, Michael Rupert would say, instead of Republicans and Democrats, we have the Gambinos on one side and the Genoveses on the other side. The Congress will have the power to fund stem cell research. How would our founding fathers have envisioned that? I didn't say hear anything about stem cell research. How about the power to tax us to go to the moon? Was how, how could our founding fathers have delegated that? Let me interject for one moment. I, I think also times change. And don't you think that sometimes, and I'm just playing devil's advocate, don't you think that sometimes you have to evolve to adapt to the current situations? Let's go back. Uh, George Washington said, that if you're going to give want Congress to have the power to fund stem cell research, amend the Constitution. We don't study the Constitution. I went all the way through the University of Arizona and never had it even mentioned once. Included, America, hear this. They've already eliminated. Are you ready for this, Mel? Do you want to hear this or not? Go ahead. They've already eliminated the Constitution. It's gone. It's blotto. It's dead. It's zero. It's nil. It's null. It's void. How do I know that? The Supreme Court decision called the Erie Railroad versus Tompkins case of 1938. Supreme Court decided there is no common law in the United States means there ain't no Constitution. So, Ralph, if our judiciary dismisses the Constitution as a piece of disposable paper, to, for lack of a, a more derogatory word that I hate to use, but that's the way the Constitution has been treated lately. If our own judges dismiss our Constitution, what protection do we have as citizens? We don't have any. Isn't the same thing for Social Security? Yes. 
Do you, you don't have to have one? Nope. I'll tell you how I know that. But what happens, Ralph, when somebody goes uh, to apply for a job? They need a social security card, don't they? Nope. There's a form you can use from the Social Security Administration, I don't know what the number of it is, that tells your employer that you're not, you don't have a card. They're not allowed, to say it that way, to withdraw taxes from your your income. And the employer signs it and sends it in to the IRS and the Social Security Administration, and they have to accept it. Vaccines. I remember the number of vaccines that we had to have uh, our daughter go through in just a matter of 24 hours. Yes, I know. Now, that's another issue, vaccines. I, I, I am of the opinion uh, not to take one ever. So, Ralph, if the person is there with two IRS agents, and usually they have guns sometimes, if there's no law and they're demanding payment, isn't that called coercion? Yes. What's the difference between somebody who's born in Washington, D.C. and somebody who's born in Virginia? Well, if you're born in Washington, D.C., you're subject to Congress having total power over your life. In this show, we're apolitical. We're not right or left, we're right or wrong. Repeat what you just said, especially during these times of war. There is no draft. They can pass laws, make you think there's a law, but there's no law. I'll tell you how I can prove it. And Ralph, just hold on for one second. There's to, for those of people who might remember uh, when George Bush says we need a new world order, that was said on September the 11th, yes. 1990, which is a very relevant date. Go ahead. Isn't that an interesting coincidence? By, you can see by diagrams that those shots did not come from the school book depository. Because so I have two questions for you, Ralph. Huh? Who did it and why? <laughs> we, need, we need half an hour. Go ahead. I, I want to know. The Vietnamese War was planned in 1943 by the United States government. What's the end game for them? We were set upon what I call a secret destiny by our founding fathers in 1782 when they designed the Great Seal of the United States with the Annuit Septus Novus Ordo Sacrum, the New World Order. And now, get ready to spend some time with French journalist Bernard Toinelli. He'll tell us everything we want to know about the Cometa Report, and we'll discuss some of his research and more famous interviews. This is Mel Fabregas, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. Don't go anywhere. Bernard Toinelle was born in France in 1958. During the summer of 1998, François Siegel and Bernard Toinelle were brought into contact with a member of the Cometa Group, an advisor and consultant with the French Ministry of Research, Gilbert Payan, 
who had incidentally written two articles in the magazine. Gilbert Payan unveiled the existence of a report prepared by a special working group attached to the Institute of High Studies for the National Defense, including top brass members and high-ranking military officers. After analyzing some excerpts from the preliminary report, Bernard Toinel convinced his publisher, François Siegel, to reproduce parts of this outstanding white paper document given to the French president Jacques Chirac and the prime minister Lionel Jospin. Finally, after a long brainstorming, the Cometa Group accepted the publication offer and proposed to publish the full report in the form of a magazine. It was sold out after 50,000 copies distributed in July 1999, within days in bookstores. From the year 2002, Bernard Toinel moved and settled for good in Los Angeles, California, since he is working presently as a freelance journalist and photographer in aviation, defense, high-tech, and also science fiction. Bernard is the author of three successful books only published in France, Adventures in the Sky, Unidentified Flying Objects, and 100 Years of Aviation. And directly from California, the man responsible for publishing and bringing to the public the Cometa Report, Bernard Toinel. Bernard, how are you? Thank you for being with us. Thank you again for uh, welcoming me uh, on uh, your show, and uh, I'm very glad to uh, talk with you, Mel. Thank you. It's our pleasure. You know, Bernard, we have uh, we've had a lot of people from the United States and even from Europe telling me you have to have Bernard Toinel on your show. And to be honest, I was not familiar with you. A lot of times when ufologists or researchers from other countries, they seem to stick to their country. And oftentimes, because of the Internet, we get bits and pieces. And that's what brought me to you today. First, I want to focus on the Commander Report, which is something that was published uh, a few years ago, and in our forum, coincidentally, some people started talking about it, and I told them, guess who I'm having this week, Bernard Toinel. So I want to focus on the commander report, but first, I want to ask you about the alleged UN meeting, secret meeting that took place just a few years ago, and an unidentified but highly qualified and reliable source, supposedly, said that the secret meeting was attended by the U.S. Air Force, the National Guard, Yes, the National Guard, you wonder why. The Vatican, representatives from 27 countries, and three U.S. senators. The meeting came up with such astonishing findings as that the U.N. is an international organization. Therefore, the briefing has to do with other nation states in context to sightings. Your information came from the U.N. Public Affairs Unit, which wrote to uh, March 11th, greetings from the U.N. Public Inquiries team. As far as we are aware of this, there was no meeting concerning UFOs at the United Nations. And you also found out that it was a hoax. Why don't you tell us what supposedly happened and how you came up to the conclusion that this was a hoax? Oh, uh, the first, first of all, I'm a journalist. This is my job. So I'm trying to go to the source of the information first uh, before affirming or publishing anything. So that's my, of course. Uh, my role. And uh, uh, I'm not uh, you know, I'm not a believer. I'm going by the facts. Okay. Uh, so right. uh, the first, my first approach was to contact the UN because nobody did it. <laughs> so it was amazing, but it's true. Nobody did uh, contact, and uh, in fact, the rumor was amplifying by itself uh, on uh, on the web. And uh, somebody told me what's going on. And an airline pilot uh, in France told me, "Oh, you." 
are you aware of the UN nation uh, conference or, or a reunion regarding UFOs? I say, no, I never had this information since the late, uh, the late 70s. And uh, because there was, uh, of course, there, there was a real uh, meeting on that subject in the, in the late 70s. Uh, and it's well known, there was Jack Valley, and there is a, uh, and that's it. And, and so I contacted the, uh, the public affairs, I contacted all, all the people, all the sources inside the, the UN as well to confirm that. And they were completely astonished to see what? What's going on? No, no way. There is no reason. And, and, and the fact to involve the United States Air Force and U.S. National Guard, this is completely absurd because the United States, uh, as you know, the Air National Guard is uh, a part of, of uh, uh, the, the state, uh, a state government, and this is an inside, in fact, uh, it's a subdivision of the Air Force, uh, if, you, if, you, if you see uh, the, the organization. So there is no reason to to in, include the Air National Guard in such a meeting. So it it, it was absurd by the uh, by the description. It was not credible uh, for me. So I, I but anyway I tried to to find out where was the truth and and if maybe some such meeting could uh, could occur. Why not? Why not? But uh, the description was uh, you know. Uh, uh, looks foolish in one way, and uh, and absolutely it was confirmed by my sources, by uh, the military people I know. Uh, they opened the eyes like flying saucers, if you want, <laughs> and told me what? No, no one meeting took place in in the United uh, Nation, and there is no way uh, it's it could be hidden because all the the meetings are uh, you know classified in uh, in uh, notebook. And all the rooms, uh, all the, the, the conference rooms in New York are devoted to this meeting, to this problem, to this politic things, to this operation, to this country. So it's very difficult to, uh, to hide such a meeting, if you see what I mean. But Bernard, if it was a secret meeting, wouldn't they keep it secret from all of us anyway, and they wouldn't even register it on their journals? It's very difficult because United Nations is uh, is not uh, you know a uh, uh, secret uh, organization as as you can imagine. It's uh, mm-hmm. this is totally the opposite. It's not uh, you know you have to, to historically to to see how, how the United Nations is working, and uh, you you can see that if you hide something uh, to one country or another. Uh, there is a big, big problem of, I would say, uh, debate. And because some people are paying, you know, they are contributing. And if they are excluded, sure. if they are excluded of the organization for one reason or another, they can um, uh, build a veto, they can really uh, uh, complain and block their financial for the uh, United Nations uh, works. So it's a nonsense. To believe that we can organize uh, things in such in such uh, an uh, administration, because the United Nations is not something you know uh, belonging to one country; it's belonging to uh, the, the world. And uh, basically, uh, if the United States wants to do something, they cannot do without the approval of the other countries. So that's not, that's what I mean. It's very difficult to organize a secret meeting 
in a worldwide organization because of such problem because everybody wants to be included and that's normal and 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 so uh, this is not uh, you know a hoax or uh, i i don't know where this this rumor is coming from uh you know many people many researchers uh wants to try to uh, to 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 drop you know a false news to try to find out the truth and that's how it is doing but the disinformation can exist on that topic and personally I am uh, more than convinced that this operation uh, has been organized like a disinformation uh, mm-hmm. action. So uh, the source, I really don't know. Uh, the elements given are very blur, very very blur, very uh, uh, you don't know what's going on. And there is, you know the, the people who, who seems to 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 get and to have some information about that, they, they escape. You know, they they are. So it doesn't look credible for me. It's not uh, it's not the good way to uh, uh, to analyze uh, such a meeting, and and I I don't see I don't I I don't see the the, the goal of this such a meeting. That's uh, you wrote quote. It is obvious these so-called UFO meetings at the UN never happened, and it was a pure hoax. Bernard, if indeed this was a hoax. Who came up with this elaborate hoax? You know, Dr. Michael Sala from exopolitics.org. I believe he was the one who also, not that he wanted to go to the source, the, meaning the UN, but the person who actually brought this information forth. He was identified as an inside source. His name, correct me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, Gilles Laurent, who was further identified as a member of the French Institute of Advanced Studies for National Defense. Can you comment on that? Yeah, it's very funny because this guy is uh, totally uh, a crackpot. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, uh, because of course, when we when we discovered that the, the source was uh, coming from a French guy uh, with his pictures and and so on, we tried to find out who was this guy. Nobody knew him, <laughs> so it was right. really absolutely new guy. And uh, and and basically, we uh, we tried to find out. Uh, who was this guy? And he was uh, so-called an insider of uh, the, f- the French government for uh, the United Nations. We never found anything. And and you know what? This famous guy, at the end, he was trapped because the real people, uh, I mean the people from the Cometa, uh, people from the the, uh, the the Ministry of Defense in France, uh, ask him all his credential, and he uh, he told, uh, I lied, I lied. This is totally wrong. What 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 I did uh, has been totally invented, and uh, <laughs> it was unbelievable because uh, I think he he was even sued by usurpation of title, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I heard that. I, I cannot confirm that. Uh, but uh, I heard that uh, the, the, the association he was working with, uh, of course, did not appreciate at all to be taken uh, as uh, idiots. And, uh, of course, nobody appreciated that. But this source, the French thinks, I think it's totally absurd. It's totally unbelievable that they lied from A to Z. He, he mentioned that he was a fighter pilot before. He never uh-huh. been a fighter pilot at all because he could not mention his unit. It could not mention his and and all my 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 friends who are pilots and real, uh, not not uh, hoaxers. The uh, 
he asked him uh, some question, and he was completely trapped, the guy. And so it, it, it's, it's uh, I don't know, uh, mythomania, that's, that's what you call it. somebody inventing uh, facts which never exist, and, and so on. So, but he was so affirmative and, and so sure of himself that everybody uh, was able to say, maybe it's happened, and so they spread the information without checking the, the, the source. And that was a real big mistake. Uh, this association, I think this is, uh, the name of the association is um, uh, Airplane, Federation Airplane, something like that. Uh, this Jidron this, uh, is, is, uh, is uh, belonging to this. He was belonging to this organization at this time. And, you know, yeah. I, I think the conclusion that we can come up with from this alleged UN meeting yeah. is that it was a black eye to the UFO research community. It was a real, uh, yeah. I, I, I could, I, I could imagine that somebody could organize a disinformation act to, uh, in fact, uh, to put the the ufology in in uh, in a very very uh, very bad situation of, uh, regarding their credibility. That that's uh, it could be a, an action from intelligence. That's 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 possible. Uh, we cannot exclude anything. But but the problem is this guy lied, uh, tried to 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 invent everything from A to Z, and when the people ask him, uh, his airline tickets to New York is all the, the credential. You know, when you are you are going somewhere, you have always a, a receipt, or always a hotel a room receipt, whatever. You, sure. you, oh, he has nothing, nothing at all. So it means that it was totally uh, invented from A to Z. What was his agenda? Did he have, a, did he have an agenda? Was he selling something? Oh, uh, I really don't know. I don't think so, because uh, there is nothing to, to get from that. Uh, no, he was just, uh, it was absolutely an unknown guy, and trying to probably to show off, and to, to I don't know, you know, it's... Uh, I, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a foolish guy. It's, it's... I wish I could get the uh, reaction from Dr. Michael Sala, whom you probably know, and he's a serious researcher. And for him to be involved with 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 this, I'm sure he was very very disappointed. Uh, before we get into the Cometa report, you also said that you participated in the National Press Club. Was it 2007? Yes, correct. In November. Mm -hmm. uh, Jane Fox was there. Can you tell us more about that? Oh. Uh... It's very funny because James Fox, I, I knew James Fox for a long time. Uh, when he came to France to interview me uh, on the opportunity of the uh, commentary report uh, publication. And uh, so, in fact, I appear in his uh, first documentary, Out of the Blue. And they interview me for a few seconds to uh, to show the commentary report. To uh, And I introduced him to uh, pilot, some pilots and some officials in France. And uh, one day he came to my uh, to my uh, office, and he told me, uh, "Well, Bernard, I have a big event to organize, but I am very stuck uh, regarding the uh, uh, the French uh, contact you can get because I would I would like to have officials uh, from France, uh, witnesses, and some scientists to come and to try to to." Uh, to confirm the, what they are doing officially in France and during a, a press conference uh, in in Washington, a big deal. 
and, and say, okay, no problem, I can help you, and, and we can find out uh, who can uh, come at this uh, at this uh, event and uh, and try to find out. So it's my my role was to uh, to give uh, and to Leslie Keen as well because he is working with Leslie Keen, uh, was a journalist investigating journalists in New York. And uh, so I knew, uh, of course, I know both of them, and I, I told them, you should contact this person, you should contact the general, and you contact, I think, uh, most of the uh, top brass of uh, people involved in the UFO uh, uh, studies in, in France, officially. And that's uh, it started from that, and, and uh, after that, I say, uh, I would like to participate and to, uh, to cover this event for, uh, for myself. And James told me, okay, you come. And uh, I was invited, in, in fact, inside the group. And uh, so I uh, I met all these people, and we have very, very interesting conversation in privacy. Uh, uh, you will see uh, just the tip of the iceberg, uh, I think, in the documentary. But the the, the most interesting things I, I, can, I can talk about was the uh, behind-the-scenes. And it was very interesting, very interesting, because we have the... Why don't, mm-hmm. why don't you tell us more of what happened behind the scenes? I know that uh, yeah. uh, 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 former General Parvis Jafari, uh-huh. a pi- uh, pi- uh, Iranian pilot, was there too, right? Yes, and I, I talked a lot with him. I, I spent a lot of time with him, and uh, so he gave me very interesting elements. And, uh, uh, and in addition to that... Uh, I had a very good connection with him because I flew also the F4 Phantom uh, right. a long time ago, and uh, so I know perfectly his aircraft uh, because I used uh, at the backseater in, in uh, and I flew in 1982 the uh, exactly the same version of the uh, F4 he was flying uh, in 1976. And I think just to let the the audience know, uh, Bernard, you're one of I think you have the record of of, of journalists who has flown more fighter jets uh, in the world. Am I right? Uh, I'm not so far. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not so far. I think there is Japanese also with uh, more, much more. But uh, I flew uh, around uh, between 35 and 40 different types of aircraft uh, worldwide, including the Russians, including um, F-15. F-18, uh, MiG-29, uh, Su-24, Su-27, etc., etc. So I have a, a good a good logbook on that topic, and and I would say uh, it's uh, bringing me a, a feeling of confidence when I'm talking with a pilot because we are talking about the same subject of interest. So it means that the when when we are talking all together, it's like a club, you know, a private club. <laughs> yeah, there is a rapport. A rapport involves. Yeah, so yeah, tell yeah. us more. And this usually happens. You meet with people on a formal basis. They're giving a presentation. Yeah. And I say probably about a large percentage of the things that are discussed are withheld until you talk to them at the bar with a glass of wine or a beer. Tell us what happened behind the scenes with all those people that you talked to. In fact, uh, especially with the, the Iranian Air Force general, I would say uh, he talked, uh, <laughs> he has much more to say, uh, but he could not. And for obvious reason, he was not uh, free of, his, of all his speech. But uh, he confirmed me that at the highest level of this country, uh, the uh, subject was taken under serious consideration. 
means that uh, he was in touch with the Shah. I was going to say, yeah. why wouldn't he talk now if the Shah is no longer around? Yeah, but you know, for obvious reason, he, he cannot talk. He doesn't want to publicize that. But he was really, uh, he received the Shah at his at his address, at his home address. They came, they, he came directly because, of course, the the the, uh, the top of the of the country should have been uh, warned uh, of of such an event. And you know, uh, you you cannot exclude uh, uh, such an event. And 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 the Shah is, uh, was a pilot as well, so he was uh, feeling very close to to his pilots uh, in his air force. And uh, and what happened to 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 these uh, people? Because okay, General was not alone. Uh, there were three other people uh, uh, involved. His backseater. Uh, the the man who was in behind the, the him uh, in the the, the F four because there was two people uh, aboard the F four and and the other crew because there was another F four involved and the the the, the young guys uh, they were were involved in this uh, night chase uh, so f- four people plus all the ground the crews uh, at the control tower they they so it made a lot of people involved. So, uh, they, uh, of course, you, you cannot exclude uh, uh, all these people and what they saw. What yeah, so also the radar uh, records uh, on the aircraft it was. Unfortunately, the, the the ground radar was not working at this time, so it have only the airborne radar to to uh, uh, to be uh, able to to detect the object. And just just to make sure, this is I believe 1976, correct? Correct. And, and, and this is very, very similar to the Milton Torres story. Oh no, <laughs> no, uh, it's it's uh, not not similar uh, at all with Milton Torres' story because uh, Milton Torres was not visual. Uh, That's correct. That's true. That's true. So it was not visual. It's it's it was only on the radar, and so, so and, right. and Milton Torres never saw the object uh, at any time. It was completely in the in the in the clouds in the in the fog. In the mud, okay. I would say <laughs> he could That's not true. could not see anything. Uh, but but of course he could detect uh, the object of, of his radar. But he never saw the object. But but for mm-hmm. the, the, the uh, for Jeffrey, yes, he did, he did, and he was really scared, and uh, uh, he was ready to eject. He was ready to eject. Were they ordered to shoot down? Well, no, he, he did not get any any uh, any orders of this kind, uh, contrary to uh, Milton Torres. Mm-hmm. He, he just did it as uh, I would say rules of engagement when you are in in flight and aboard the jet fighters, and uh, of course they, they are uh, they, they are fitted with uh, weapons, with shells uh, uh, and with missiles, and uh, you have to use at your will. If you are endangered, and if you are not, you you, you cannot. But but in that case, uh, it tried to uh, to shoot, not for uh, shooting down the UFO, but to defend himself because he was mm-hmm. he was thinking that the small object coming towards him at that very very uh, high uh, speed uh, was threatening his his aircraft and his crew, and uh, in that case, you don't have to think a long time. As a fighter pilot, you have to shoot before to be shot, okay? And that's uh, that's uh, the, the primary rule in the air combat. 
So that's why he, that's why he, he reacted such a way. This story, it, it makes it to the headlines all the time. The name uh-huh. Parvis Jeffrey is always on the UFO, UFO researchers' radar. Uh-huh. I've heard it before, but I was never, too, I was not too aware of how exactly happened. That's why I said it sounds like the Milton Torres story because I didn't know they had visual. No, he had visual in a long time. It's not only, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, a small, uh, small ghost or something like that. It stayed. It remained. It was uh, something real, solid, and uh, as he told me, it was moving at tremendous speed, like just you know, like that. It was uh, moving from. Uh, uh, I, I, I asked, I asked him many, many times. Are you sure that at this scale it was moving uh, 15 miles, 20 miles in one second? He said, yes. Yes, because I have the reference of the, of the landscape. I, I, I knew uh, approximately, even by nighttime, when you have a pilot who is very, very skilled and can uh, assess the distance, he can absolutely uh, compute at, wh- at which speed he was he was going, and he told me it was going instantly, in in in, uh, in one second. No, not uh, uh, it's impossible. There is no one aircraft able to do that, and no one uh, meteor or whatever. It it was something uh, completely unreal, and and he told me it was real because I can detect on the radar. I was lucky. I was there. Is, there was no problem at all. This the subject was solid. What else happened behind the scenes to the, during the National Press Club? What else did you learn from from Parvis Jeffrey and, and from anybody else there? I, I learned that the uh, his uh, radar officer uh, died uh, during the the uh, with, uh, the war in 1980 with Iraq, right. and so he was shut down. He was a pilot as well. It was not only a radar officer, it was a pilot. So it's, they were, huh, okay. uh, actually, there were two pilots, two qualified pilots. They were the, at this time, it was a, the, the squadron commander, and he was the most qualified guy to take off. And that's why he, uh, he, they, they, they told to the first crew to, um, uh, to give up, because they were, uh, the, 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 the two guys that were really uh, uh, rookies, and uh, and you, you don't give you know you don't give uh, such a mission to rookie people because you don't know right. where where they are going to, and they was they were able to uh, uh, to 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 be threatened and to be shut down. So of course you try to uh, to save your your crews. So the first things the squadron commander. So uh, at this time uh, Major Jeffrey uh, took off and uh, he took off uh, with his uh, his uh, crew members. Another pilot qualified as well, and they were able to uh, uh, to try to uh, to chase this uh, UFO, and uh, in nighttime and and uh, all the time they were able to uh, to see it. And at the time when they were, they were getting too close, at 25 miles from the target, uh, that's uh, when the event uh, occurred. And when there's a famous blue light, uh, uh, of speeding uh, toward, directly toward his aircraft. So at this time, Jeffrey thought it was a missile. It was a weapon of some kind. And I have to avoid it. So he tried to defend. He, he connected his, his weapon system. He, you know, there's this little switch on the left side 
downside of the instrument panel, just you know, just a simple switch, and select uh, the uh, sine winders, which is mm-hmm. the uh, uh, infrared. Uh, so the the the, 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 the missile is it's guided by the, the the heat of the object, right? Okay, and uh, and from that everything switch off. <laughs> the, the 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 instruments became crazy. They were turning around. They were nothing was accurate. The data on on the instrument panel, the needles were going everywhere. It was unbelievable, and, and, and no one radio communication, a gravel, and nothing. So in that circumstance, what you are doing? He was not able to defend himself, so he tried to avoid. That's what uh, uh, General Jeffrey told me. He, he avoids slightly on the left, but he was very careful to not be disorientated. Because in nighttime, you can be very disorientated and, and to be upside down and diving to the ground. Absolutely. If you if you only have visual and you don't have instruments that are going to tell you that you have a horizontal well, the horizon, then you definitely get disoriented really quickly. It was not subsonic. It was flying subsonic, but you okay. know it's sufficient to uh, to kid yourself. So you have to be very careful. So and the, the light stopped. <laughs> the light stopped. So he avoided and go to the left side. He tried to turn slightly to the left. And he was not able to talk with his crew uh, member. So uh, behind the guy was absolutely uh, was no communication at all. They were not able to to communicate between the, each other. So this is you know uh, a very scary situation. And not only is this more or less the same as Milton Torres here, but it's it's more or less the same as to many other pilots who have referred to the same thing. They, they when they try to engage, their systems are shut down. Yeah. Once they start yeah. turning on their their weapon systems. Yes, absolutely. There is, there is a, and there is also uh, uh, for some people, and uh, General Jeffrey told me a, uh, a little bit about that. Uh, when he, he he came back, and that nobody nobody uh, talked about that. He forgot. So there was a time, a time frame. During the, 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 the from the, the the event of the dogfight, I would say, and uh, the landing, he has what he called a missing time. Huh. And that's something uh, for him very weird because he, he he could not recall at all what happened uh, between uh, this dogfight, the, the the end of the encounter, if you if you want, and the landing at Tyrone. Because he was, uh, of course, he was not. He was not based at Syrian, but the, the the control told him land at the airport. You, you land directly at the airport because it was really uh, uh, very close to the uh, Tehran uh, International Airport, and that's right. what he did. But during the the pattern, during the pattern, you know, you you have you have to achieve a pattern to land uh, to mm-hmm. get the, the 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 runway and and right. and at the topic at this point he was not able to recall what's what happened and, uh, and this is his crew member so the guy in the back who told him what happened and and uh, he, he could not he could not remind it so it, is, it was very interesting to he, he told me that uh, and uh, so, so we, they both they both experienced missing time I don't know. Member I, and, and him. I, I don't know. I cannot confirm for the, the guy in the back because the guy in the back uh, died, and we have no confirmation oh. of this. But I suppose, I suppose, 
maybe they have the, the same uh, the same feeling, but I cannot confirm that. So uh, unfortunately, there, there is no uh, uh, information about that. But but what can I I, I can uh, confirm is the fact that General Jeffery was not able to remind what happened during a, a certain time of minutes uh, during this flight. So what happened in how come? You know, uh, uh, a pilot of this uh, level could uh, lose his, uh, uh, his memory. Uh, so who, who stole the memory, I would say, in one way? Uh, it's, it looks strange. But I can't compare to a case with, uh, which happened in 1977. During the, nearly the, time, the same time frame with a Mirage 4, the Mirage 4 is a nuclear bomber similar to the B-58, Okay, that's what we were using in France for the... the and that's a French aircraft for those who are listening. Yeah, it's a, it's a bomber, a nuclear bomber, uh, similar to the B-58. Okay, the, right. the, the, exactly the same, the same configuration, two crew members, one pilot, one radar officer. And uh, in, in 1977, it's a case mentioned on the commentary report, the, the pilot was... Exactly in the same situation uh, met by General Jeffrey, except except he was not able to defend himself because a bomber is a bomber is not a fighter. It means he has no weapons to use if he is intercepted. So that's right. that's something. Uh, so maybe that's why the situation was was different. But uh, it was a really a scary situation because the UFO at this time came directly to his six o'clock position in nighttime. And what does it mean? It means for any pilot in the world, any military pilot, you are dead. Because when you have a, uh, an opponent, an enemy, a target coming on your back, All right. he's able to shoot you down like a, like a turkey. And that's exactly what happened. And so you can understand that he was very stressed. The French pilot tried to do his best to avoid, to try to uh, uh, achieve evasive actions. So it was trying very hard. The maximum of his possibility of the aircraft, 7 Gs, 8 Gs. So he was really at the limit, at the border of, of uh, the performance of his aircraft. And the uh, UFO was good. He was not able to, to, to leave. And suddenly... It left at a tremendous speed, and he was like, uh, I would say, uh, he was playing like a captain uh, and a mouse with the airplane. And uh, they were completely scared in the, uh, in the bomber, and they were talking over the radio. And the controller told, what's going on? What are you doing? And there's nothing on the radar screen, and you are making uh, uh, foolish maneuvers. And you are right. not supposed to do that in the nighttime when you are. I say, guy, we have something which is chasing us, and we don't know where it is. And he, he thought, uh, at, uh, on the first approach, it was just a, a training exercise by uh, French uh, fighters uh, in the vicinity, but it was not. And any fighters of, <laughs> of in service was not able to do what this UFO was doing behind the mirror. Bernard? Was there a recording system back then that allowed to show after they landed that there, there was indeed an object following them that they're six? No, 
No, that that was really uh, frustrating because uh, the pilot. But uh, the pilot I interviewed told me he became a colonel, so he was not uh, his career was uh, perfect. Mm-hmm. And he told me he showed me his logbook and on the line of this mission on the date in 1977, it was written UFO. <laughs> there is, uh, you know, a, a note. Uh, proving that uh, it was a UFO encounter this time. And he told me something very important. And now I can compare to General Jeffery. He was sitting inside his cockpit as monitored. Somebody, you know, as a sixth sense, which makes you that somebody is watching at you. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, this is a, a fighter instinct uh, that makes why. Uh, this pilot are highly selected because they have good instinct, good uh, decision maker in one second. And when a pilot told you, and when a pilot is telling you, I, 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 I was feeling observed, monitored, somebody was watching at me, I think that was maybe true. But who? I don't know. In all the years of your journalistic experience, uh, Bernard, don't you come to the conclusion, unless I'm not aware of a lot of the you know, Bermuda Triangle where supposedly ships and planes have been lost, but from the people who have reported these incidents and, and were alive when they did, isn't there a common denominator that a lot of these crafts did not harm them? Yeah, there is a, a, a common factor, obviously. The, okay. the, the description made by the pilots are strictly the same. That's very important because uh, it means that the, this phenomena is not so different from uh, uh, one pilot to another, and that's or one country to another, right? Yeah, absolutely. When, when I, I'm talking uh, from a pilot, it's worldwide. Huh? It's not uh, only uh, one American pilot to a French pilot. Huh? You, you, mm-hmm. you see what I mean? And on, on that topic, no, the description is made the same way, same description. Same uh, behavior and same, I would say, intelligence trajectory on the object. So it means that it's going fast, is avoiding the aircraft, is playing with the aircraft, uh, and uh, it, it, it can, I would say, anticipate. That's very interesting because every time uh, when I, I went to South America and I interviewed South uh, uh, in Chile, in, in Chilean Air Force people. And uh, I interview one guy who they, they, they intercept one UFO flying in formation with them, a big stack, a big, a real big, uh, big triangle, a blurred, black, and they were able to uh, intercept this, uh, this object flying in formation uh, three miles away. On each side, uh, one was on the left, the other one on the right, okay? And suddenly, without any warning, they have the radar screens, they have everything, suddenly this object uh, fled immediately at a tremendous speed, 90 degrees, a <laughs> You can't imagine that. It's 
right to you. It almost seems like the experience of these pilots almost always the same. They, yeah. they of course, get, get scared. They're trained to, to use a defensive posture. They have to engage with their weapons if they have to, if they feel that their crew and, and, and the plane is, is uh, in jeopardy. But it seems that they come in and they fly out at an incredible speed. Obviously, nothing man-made, maybe back then, maybe now we have reverse technology that we're using and we're proving it. But it seems always the same. They don't have a hostile uh, position. They, they deactivate the weapon systems because they have the capacity of doing so. Uh-huh. Well, I, uh, well, first of all, the pilots uh, who had problems, they never came back. And uh, you don't know what happened. And that's, uh, that's uh, uh, the case of Captain Mantle. This is the case of uh, the uh, Scorpion uh, F-89 in 1953. Uh, you have also uh, the case of uh, F-94 Starfire in, uh, I think... Wasn't Captain Mantle the one who crashed? Say again? Wasn't Captain Mantle the one who crashed? Yeah, uh, Thomas K. Mantle in 1948, yeah. Yes, correct. And, uh, he was flying F-51D, and, uh, and the guy was qualified. It was uh, no problem at all. And that's that's when you you read the the, the I would say the uh, the official papers, even in Blue Book. And I discovered the Heineck papers. I was in uh, QFOS in uh, with uh, Dr. Mark uh, Rodegier, mm-hmm. and uh, I discovered the the Mendel uh, report. Uh, below a big layer of dust, <laughs> and uh, I opened it, and it was uh, I noticed several things which uh, really amazed me uh, regarding the mental case. For instance, the 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 the, uh, the body was never never shown to the family, so they they, they buried the the the, the pilot very fast. Uh, Why do you believe that the body was never shown to the family? I have no one single idea. Maybe this is a process, but I. It's amazing. It's really amazing to hack like it, and, and, and they did it to, in a matter of hours. It means that they would like to hide the body of, of the pilot, and uh, because the, the aircraft was flat. In fact, it was it was uh, amazingly intact uh, from the uh, you know the uh, the altitude it was uh, it was flying. Uh, it was really at the at the limits of of his setting. Of his operational setting, so he he was when such an aircraft uh, diving and uh, falling by himself, or uh, uh, it generated a crater. Okay, of course. And and there is no and, and amazingly, when when the aircraft crashed in Franklin, it's a little town in Kentucky. Uh, it was in the middle of of the residentials that you have uh, houses. Just uh, so it was a miracle that uh, it, it didn't uh, didn't crash on the house first, and secondly, the aircraft is flat. It means that you have the, the impression that the aircraft was not falling from this altitude. Bernard, I have to stop you for one second. I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, the the story of uh, Clifford Stone when he was taken to somewhere in in Southeast Asia. At one of the, the UFO crash retrievals, and they found an airplane in the middle of the forest at a little area that had no trees around, but there was no way that it could have landed. It was right there on the ground. Yes, the crew was dead, but the airplane was there almost as if somebody 
took it down and put it on the ground without crashing. What you're telling me right now sounds exactly the same. Uh, except the fact that I think the story uh, told by Clifford Stone is, uh, uh, I think, uh, uh, it's a B-52. I, I Correct. I, 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 if, if, if I'm uh, reminded, uh, uh, I think it's a B-52. So I, never I had, think it was, yes. I never had this information uh, confirmed uh, by, uh, by the date or by the serial number of this aircraft. I checked it, but I never found any, any, anything about this story. But what, regarding the, the mental case, uh, it's obvious that something happened, and there is a testimony, because when I was uh, uh, reading the uh, Heineck papers, because he had a copy of everything, he made uh, very good hard copies of, uh, of all the, uh, the Blue Book files, Mm-hmm. And so he collected uh, the, the the mental case, and uh, it's it's readable. You can read it. Uh, and blue books is very difficult because it's a copies of copies of copies, and the quality sure. is not is not uh, is not obvious. But uh, regarding the mental case, uh, you have a testimony of a policeman, a police officer who was in the vicinity, and he saw the aircraft uh, diving, no diving, but falling down. And uh, he, he described uh, the, uh, the, the, the fall of this aircraft in a strange way. One wing was in fire, and he was, in fact, uh, falling like, you know, a turning leaf. So he was mm-hmm. really a slow, in, in quite slow motion for such an aircraft. Usually a be, uh, F-51 is a very, uh, uh, it's a heavy aircraft, and... Uh, uh, is is uh, uh, I don't I don't want to, to come in detail, but the engine is very uh, is very heavy. So usually right. it's diving directly from the no- uh, with, from the nose. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And on on the testimony, the written testimony from this police officer uh, in Franklin, he was describing something totally uh, different from what you can imagine uh, from uh, uh, F fifty one. Uh, falling from a uh, very high altitude, and and probably the 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 strapper was not in idle. I I cannot imagine that. Uh, so he was uh, except something else happened, but nobody knows, and nobody will, will explain what happened. But this is a description which shocked me a lot. You cannot find any scientific explanation, knowing you put it on idle and you go down. If you lose power, you're going to go down. Yeah, really, really fast. And very, very fast. Yeah, because it's not uh, it's it's navy aircraft, and it's uh, uh, the, the the weight is uh, is playing a role in any. You know, uh, unfortunately, I, I saw many crashes in my in my uh, my life uh, as a as an aviation journalist. I investigated many many times uh, on on crash site. It's not really funny. I can tell you, uh, but mm-hmm. uh, it's. Uh, it's always the same. You, you can see the impact. You can see the the on the the, the, the regarding the, the mental crash. Uh, the, 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 the aircraft is flat, and it's scattered. All the debris are, uh, are scattered. If you if you look at the map, uh, which was made uh, uh, at this time on the uh, accident report made by the Air Force, it's amazing that the aircraft was uh, in nearly one piece, and, and some uh, parts were scattered and, and never touched one, one house. And uh, 
in one way. Uh, it's it's really weird. It's really weird. It's not a, a conventional crash as you can uh, see uh, in any um, accident. In any uh, crash, it was really a weird thing. So what happened? I really don't know. But there is no explanation at all. Do you have any any suspicion as to why the body was never shown to the family? I have no idea. And uh, we'd love to, 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 you have to ask to, to, the, to the people living at this time uh, in the Air Force and, and ask if uh, this is a normal procedure to not show the, uh, the body to the family. That's possible because it's probably, uh, you know, it's not really pleasant to see uh, the body uh, in an aircraft uh, accident. Well, but that that happens when somebody's murdered and even chopped in pieces. They have to show it to the family so they can uh, identify the corpse. Normally, yes, that's uh, the, the procedure. But at this time, I don't know. And, and I, I know that the the, the coffin, the, the 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 gasket was was uh, sealed. Sealed. That's what yeah. I heard. That's what I heard. So right. it was a, a real uh, weird uh, configuration for uh, uh, such an event and. Uh, we, we, we don't know more, but uh, something happened, and uh, the, the debris, the, the, the wreck of this aircraft, of the, the F-51 Mustang, doesn't look to any wreck I ever saw, I ever seen uh, in, uh, in combat, in, 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 uh, even in takeoff. When, when you have a F-51 crashing in, uh, during takeoff, just take off, uh, just uh, leaving the the runway. Uh, it remains uh, something burn in one piece, but at least you can see something. You can at this time there is no flat uh, part, and on the mantle case, the F fifty one is flat like a like a pancake. I, I saw the, the pictures. I was really amazed. I said, oh, that, "That's not normal." It's as if it was taken down flying horizontally uh, or vertically but but staying horizontally yeah but at low altitude because there was no velocity for the impact mm-hmm. that's what I, I i noticed there was no velocity right. at all because if you have a velocity the gravity you accelerate and you have a, a big impact at this time right. it's like i don't know it's cold <laughs> and just uh dropped from a low altitude it it, it looks Looks to me like that because it, it, it's it's the, the the state of the F fifty one looked like uh, from what I saw from uh, a low altitude accident, a very low altitude accident. These are all fascinating cases, and we could be talking forever about them. And with yeah. all your experience, I'm sure that you have books and books written on all this stuff. But the main reason why I wanted to talk to you was about the Cometa report. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about it from a perspective of somebody who's not completely familiar. I know the Cometa report came out in the year, was it ni- 1999? Uh, 10 years ago, exactly. 1999. And it was supposed to be only a government uh, known report. However, you put that report on the map. Before you talk about the Cometa report, give us a little bit of a background as to how is it that you came to publish the public version of the Cometa report. Thank you very much for listening. We're going to talk more with our special guest in our members section. Head on over to our website, veritasshow.com. Click on subscribe and join us in the members area to tune in to the second part of this great show. 
We'll take a short break, listen to some music, and we'll be right back with more. This is Robert Morningstar, and you're listening to The Veritas Show. 